0: Hi, my name is Wyatt Troy, and I want to welcome you to Behind the Daw, the podcast that was created to help you become the artist that you've always wanted to be. We interview artists and music industry experts on an emotional, philosophical, and artistic level to get inside their heads, gather the best information, and then bring it back to you. By the way, this is a companion podcast to our new YouTube series, In the DAW, where we invite artists to dissect their songs in real time. Also, within every podcast episode, we include a bounced and condensed version of the corresponding YouTube episode. But I highly encourage you to check out the full YouTube version. If you have any artists you would like to see come on the show, or if you have any feedback in general, you can contact me at Wyatt at musicandstuffllc.com for episode 18 we have copycat and this is a solid contender for the deepest podcast we've ever had we go deep into spirituality as well as talk about things like how to disagree without being disagreeable and we theorize on what the deepest desire of humanity is there is a lot in this podcast and i'd highly encourage you to go through listen to it once kind of get the overall vibe and then go through and listen to it again start picking out the the really intimate details I just want to give a huge thanks to CopyCat, as well as a huge thanks to you for even coming through. And as always, if you enjoy what you learn and you would love to learn more, go ahead and subscribe and we'll see you back here next week. And if you feel so inclined, we would love for you to leave a rate and review on iTunes. But for now, without further ado, here's CopyCat. I just want to welcome everyone to episode 18 of behind the dog this week we have copycat and i'm so excited how's it going man yeah real good man real good how is Australia? I, I hear it's still there, and I hear it's I, think, I hear it's doing good. Yeah, it's still afloat, fortunately. I mean, I guess it's an island. Islands don't float. <laughs> We're off to a good start. For those who don't know who you are, I'm assuming because you're kind of like frequent in Clockwise and Vorso, where like you have a relatively small following, but you have an extremely devout following. So I'm assuming the people who are checking this out are a part of that devout following. But if they're not, let's get a little bit of background information on you. Basically, anything you want to say about you. Yeah. I guess I'm just a young lad, just a producer, just a creative, but I'm in
1: Australia. I don't know why I think of that as such like a distinct perk, but I'm just a young experimental creative making electronic music. That's definitely like a main vein for me. I like bass music. I like loud bass noises and drums and stuff and weird jazz sounds. (laughs) That's it. That's awesome, dude. How long have you been making music for? I think about six years now. I properly started
0: when I was 15. So you're like... 21 right now? Yeah, 21. You and I were talking about this before the podcast started, but you recently are moving towards making this full-time gig for you. That's super legit. I think that's kind of the dream of everyone who's listening to this podcast, including myself. Let's talk about that. I mean, how, how is that going? Is it scary or is it, has there been setbacks? What's going on with that? Honestly, it's all just this long process
1: of analysis because there's no, there's no like real mold or there's no like... There's no format for how to make the thing that you love profitable or, or how to make it your life. You know, No one really tells you how to do it. So a lot of it for me has literally just been like forcing myself to sit down and think about it and prioritise. Like Prioritising is like a really good word for the process. Like You have to look at what's important to you. Like once you find that, then you can work towards what the demand is. So you figure out what your supply is and what you're passionate about and then you find a demand for it. But yeah, it's been slow and steady, like really figuring out how to approach it because I could copy somebody else you know i could look at somebody who's doing podcasts or somebody you know like someone's doing podcasts or somebody who's doing you know youtube or somebody who's just doing like touring as a dj like there is so many creators out there but really i don't think i'd be 100% satisfied unless i did it exactly how i wanted to do it that's been most of the challenge but it's not daunting at all honestly every time i sit down and think about it i get more excited about the fact that i have stuff that i'm passionate about it has value and you can make it into something
0: you said something that really resonated with me That's basically there's no format or like there's no blueprint as much as people say there is, everyone that I've heard of, including my own that I've created, like my own personal blueprint, it's flawed. It's not one shoe fits all, man. And so I'm really happy you you say that because it's like, it's such an interesting industry that we're going into. It's like someone throwing us into the desert, telling us to make a house, but not telling us how to or where to or when to. Are you okay if we kind of dive into what maybe you have been doing, like you figuring out your own blueprint and what that looks like? Yeah, definitely. At the moment, at least like the, the main thing for me, is the
1: music. Like I'm really passionate about making stuff that inspires me and things that kind of, I I guess staying at the forefront of the thing that keeps me stimulated, you know, the thing like every time I hear a piece of music and that experience of like being totally blown away or just like completely relating to a piece of music that's like priority number one for me is to find that. I guess at the moment, like the last six months, I've had this whole kind of like, I wouldn't say a struggle, but just like a mental debate as to to where to draw the line between pursuing the newest thing and the most exciting thing for me and keeping it at a place where other people can understand it. And I guess I found an analogy. The best way to explain it is kind of like if if your journey as like a creative, whether you do music or like any kind of art or just expressing yourself, if your journey is like a cruise ship that you're driving, if you're the only one on it, you can kind of set the pace in that you could go at a million miles an hour and experience all this cool stuff and discover all these new things and you're just, you know, sightseeing. But as soon as you start to bring other people on board, I'm starting to realize that you can't just like plow ahead a million miles an hour because some people want a chance to kind of savor something that you've found. So it's it's kind of hard, and I guess I'm I'm discovering that pace slowly in terms of like I think there has to be a level of humility in that you've got to realize that you if you have followers or people that appreciate your art part of your job I guess you want to call it or what I'm finding for my journey is that I've got to value what people actually enjoy about my music as well as pursuing my own taste because yeah. you know it's very lonely otherwise if you just like do everything at a million miles
0: an hour constantly run through genres you touched on something that is extremely controversial and I'm so glad you did because this is something that I'm extremely passionate about but it's it's the whole concept of basically if we have a spectrum right and on one end of the spectrum it's like you create music for other people you know you follow trends you do whatever whatever and then on the other end of the spectrum it's like you only create music for you that's it you don't care about anyone else and so the whole debate is should you go to this end to this end should you be in the middle should you find somewhere in between and so I thought a lot about that and I've kind of thought a lot about it, removing the music aspect and just like focusing about it on a life aspect. So it's like, you know, because we can take the same aspect and focus on life. Should I just live for my happiness? Or should I just live for other people's happiness? Other people's... Did I say that right? Other people's happiness? Yeah, that's right. English. English. (laughs) And so, or should I find somewhere in the middle? And you know, personally, I personally think that if you are on one side of the spectrum or the other in regards to music, I don't know, man. To me, that just doesn't seem right to be on one end of the spectrum or the other. Because if you're just making music for other people, it's not satisfying at all. But if you're just making music for yourself, I feel like you're not using the music for what it was created for. And that's for connection. What's your thoughts on it? Do you feel the same way? I feel like the answer is the two tied together.
1: Like there is a resolve to it. In life in general, I'm a huge like optimist. Like there is a right way to do everything. And there is a way that everything works together. I think that um, with this, like you can't compromise the way you are for other people. If you don't want to do that. And I think that's why there's that people who are that one end of the spectrum. That's just like, I'll never compromise myself. I'll never serve anyone else's needs. But at the same time, it is a language. A lot of your life is about expressing and actually saying something and articulating, it. and that's your service to people. And it's actually in your individuality, I think, is your value. So you've got to realize that the way I see it is you exist for the purpose of expressing something that no, nobody else can express, but for other people. And you're fulfilled in the act of actually expressing it and being yourself. And other people receive from it in experiencing something from you that they would never experience anywhere else. So you've got to respect your individuality as well as realize that it's for the purpose of everybody. Do you
0: know the definition of synergy? Uh, Kind of. It's not a word they use often. Cool. So basically, I don't know if this is the proper definition, but the best definition that I've ever heard that helps me understand it. Synergy is basically when one plus one equals more than two. When you take two things and you put them together and the, the product that comes out is actually bigger than what it was supposed to be. If you made a song and Frequent made a song and it went so far, but then you two came together and made a song and it went way further than the two songs combined... Then that's like synergy. So, to me, when you were talking about this, how it's like, yes, you have a responsibility to stay true to yourself and to do what you feel is happy, but you also have a responsibility to serve other people through your music. You also have a responsibility to provide a connection through your music. To me, it's kind of like, you know, if you just focus on the one end of the spectrum where you just focus on you, you will, uh, you'll be happy. I I feel like you'll be happy. You'll, you'll, you know, you'll achieve something, you'll achieve something of value. And if you're on the other, end of the spectrum where you're just making music for other people, I still feel like you would achieve something. I don't I don't know what it'd be called, but you know basically I think it's maybe it's money, maybe it's you know, maybe it's something like that. But I feel like it's when they both come together. And you make something, you know, you make something that's true to yourself, but it's still connecting with other people. That's when one plus one equals more than two. Do you agree with that?
1: I I guess I'd call it like positive feedback in a sense, like when the two work together so well, the growth is exponential. Like they don't just add to each other. They work like a cycle. They actually like bounce back and forth and you end up with, I
0: guess that's like functionality. You're kind of getting to this point now in your life where you're kind of like trying to find your place in the middle ground. Is that what you were saying? I guess this, you know, in having this conversation, I'm kind of learning things as well.
1: I feel like I, I am definitely trying to find my individuality and learning to value. The things that are important to me, because I feel like in some ways you don't actually have another reference point in terms of what to make or what to produce. You you can always serve other people, but that's always going to be based on how you interpret other people. So I feel like your, your best reference point is to make the things that you're passionate about. But I think there's also an aspect of relationship that comes into music and in that in learning to appreciate what other people are doing and learning to just listen to people in a general life sense, like in terms of like, cause when you make friends with someone, you actually learn to think in a way that you wouldn't normally. That's what I found is like in hanging out with certain crowds and cultures, you can appreciate styles of art or music or whatever it is. From the connection you get, like it's almost like the product of you being friends with somebody else. Actually, it, it creates art, or it creates a way of thinking. And I think in re- in learning to relate to people and not isolating yourself, you would create types of music that you wouldn't on your own. So there's or- there's already a sense of collaboration before you've even directly worked on art with someone. It's actually just in knowing people, you can articulate something that the
0: both of you understand. That's intense, man. Well say, did you say you've been doing this seriously for the last five years, or you, or you just started five years ago? Yeah. So, I mean, I've dabbled with music.
1: I wouldn't say my whole life. I've dabbled with creating things my whole life. I, I mean, everyone does to an aspect. I think my first encounter with actual music, like, I mean, like actually producing something would I would have been like nine or 10 and they had like a music making program in a cereal box. Yes. <laughs> it was Nutri-Grain. You, you guys wouldn't have a Nutri-Grain, but it's like pretty iconic Australian cereal. Oh,
0: that sounds so Australian.
1: <laughs> but yeah, that, that was probably my first encounter with actually producing music. But yeah, so like when I was about 15, I got a program off a friend and I started like trying to make songs. And
0: from when you started doing like, you know, you, you got your first Daw and you started producing, you know, uh, and you started setting the goals to, to do this full time. What has been some, some of the hardships that you faced and and are you, are you still facing them or have you overcome them?
1: It's funny. And this is the thing that, that, that trick trips me up sometimes is that when I started, I was, I thought I was copying other people. Like I heard like, like Wolfgang Gartner and like Skrillex. And then I heard Cohen sound and like Culprit, all those guys. And when I started, I was just, you know, I was just copying because I was like, look, I don't really know how to create new stuff right now. So I'm just going to copy the guys that I like. But what happened was I found in the process of copying, I realized that I was creating my own sound somehow. And that was purely based on how I was actually interpreting what I thought I was copying. So, so even in the fact that you actually value something that somebody else does, you create your own flavor of it. Like you don't actually just directly copy stuff. Like your reference point is always going to be what you value about it. But um, I think the journey for me was uh, there came a point where when I started getting feedback on my songs and when people started appreciating my music, that's when I started to like my motivation started to get compromised because I thought my, I started to put my value in what people thought of my music because I thought it was like, it started out that it was actually quite like a good measurement. Like if I got a lot of feedback, it was generally on a track that I was happy with, but I found the further and further I went down that musical track, the more that ruler and that measurement of what people thought of my songs sort of began to skew compared to what I actually wanted to do. And I realized now is like, I can make stuff that will make people happy and I can make stuff that will make people go, Whoa, that's amazing. But like, it's not always like I found there's actually moments where I've had people love a track and I'm frustrated because I don't like it the way they do. And that's again, it's down to interpretation, but that's been the main struggle is actually valuing my own art based on
0: how I like it. Is that where the name Copycat came from? Is it from you copying other people and developing your own style? I, I wonder where
1: this name actually came from, to be honest, because I was I. It was kind of like a not a eureka moment, but it just kind of came out of nowhere. Like I remember I was at work and I'd, I'd spent like six to eight months trying to find a new alias because I hated the one that I had. I used to go by Alberto A B E R T O, which is a dumb story in itself. It was actually a mistake. <laughs> It's not a long story, but basically the movie Kicking and Screaming with Will Ferrell and whatever. I don't know if you ever saw that. There are these two Italian kids, Massimo and Alberto. And my mate, he was like, oh, I'll be Massimo and you can be Alberto and got it wrong. But I believed his version of it. So I adopted this name that was wrong. I don't know. Anyway, Bad alias. <laughs> so, so, so crap. <laughs> I like, I like copycat more. It's... <laughs> It's definitely more palatable, let's put it that way. Coming up with Copycat, I was obviously spending a lot of time trying to get rid of the decaying idea that was Alberto, and I was having a monologue in my head because I I like, oh man, I have internal
0: monologues constantly. That's awesome. It's actually a sign of a very highly intelligent person if they talk to themselves a lot, especially inside their head. So sorry, keep going. Yes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I was sort of at work monologuing in my head and I I think I, and this is, and this is based on sort of the feeble mindset I had back then in terms of like how people come up with music and that sort of thing. But I just remember thinking like, I don't want to be like, I don't want to be someone who's just like a copycat producer. Like I just follow trends. I want to do my own thing. And the word copycat, it was like glowing in my head. It was just like, like, like a like a flashing light. It was like copycat. Oh and I was like, wow, that's like a really familiar word, and yet it's not like Uh, you don't use it all the time, but if I use it as a name, people would remember it because it's familiar. And then I looked up the name Copycat 1T and there was like a DJ and there was like a company and and I was like, okay, well, this is kind of useless. And I just added a T on the end and and no one had used it except for one app, which is like a a keyboard. It's like a keyboard copy paste tool, which I actually have. And it's a great tool. So I promote the other copycats as well. It's totally true to form.
0: (laughs) Well, I thought basically you chose that name because... It's like everyone can call anyone a copycat. They can say they're copying so-and-so or they sound like so-and-so or whatever. And so instead of you like shirking away from that, you're like, what if I call myself copycat? You know, like, what are they going to do? Was that in there at all? It's interesting because I
1: didn't like, I didn't think of any of that at the time. I was just like, that's a great word. And I'm like, it felt right. The more I go down the track, the more I realize it's it's very much a key component to my philosophy in terms of creating art. It's all you are very much just drawing on life and your experiences and expressing it. The interesting thing is in copying is how you create new things. Yeah. I I guess I started resonating with the name more and more when I thought about like how I think of the way I create. And I'm like, yeah, this is very representative of my philosophy.
0: So when you were talking about like you copying, but in copying, you actually created something new. I find that So interesting because one, have you ever heard about the law of innovation? No. So, the law of innovation is really, really amazing. It's basically the whole concept of like everything is a remix. You ever heard that before? Yeah, yeah. Like nothing new has been created, it's all based on old material being reinterpreted. Everything that's created is like 80% copied and 20% new, basically. If we could go like to the back to the beginning of humanity, our ancestors created something and then their successors took their ideas and changed it a little, so on and so forth. I think that's really incredible because basically a lot of innovation states is that first you have to replicate something and then you have to assimilate something and then you have to innovate something. So for example, I could pull in a copycat song right now And I could try and replicate it, which is the first part of the law. And so replicating it, I will assimilate it. Like I can actually understand why you made the decisions that you made assimilate means to like actually make a part of yourself. That You actually internalize like the things that are going on. And so doing that, then you can see how you can change it, which leads to the next point, which is innovate. And the reason why I'm rambling on about this is because I have a buddy. His name is Jamie McNeil. He's you ever heard of magic? M-A-J-I-K magic. I'm going to say no. Yeah, it doesn't really well. Dude, you would love them. They're these two British dudes. Anyway, so Jamie was telling me one time so I'm super big into like being an open book and sharing everything especially like production techniques and everything like I have no secrets I I will tell everyone anything all the time whether it's like sound design or whether it's mixing or whether it's songwriting or whatever I'm I'm just I can't keep secrets that way and one time I was telling him something he's like you know what's really beautiful about like you sharing all this kind of stuff is that like people want to hold their cards so close to their chest well at the end of the day you will never give someone something and then them create the exact same thing. They'll actually take it and make their own version of it, which then you can look at their version and make your own version, and basically keep going back and forth. Number one, I'm really appreciate you coming on in the Daw because you were giving away some of your quote unquote secrets. But I don't think you're. I don't think anyone's gonna steal the, the copycat sound because that doesn't really happen. People can take it and they, they they throw their own spice into it and create something new. I mean, do you do you feel the same? Yeah, that's definitely been a big thing for me this year is like overcoming that because I guess the thing
1: I've realized it's it's really is a matter of realizing that your identity is not in your resources you hold your cards close to your chest because you think your value is in the fact that you've accumulated all these techniques and stuff then the, the awesome thing is like what like you just being totally open and sharing stuff is that you, no one can ever steal your identity like they can and, and if someone's copying you all you've done is benefit the world you know you've you've taken something that you were able to process and create taught everyone else how to do it and then just continued on the road like and if everybody did that we'd all be re- you know running it a million miles miles an hour, mm-hmm. but still be individual. So there's just like your your resources have nothing to do with your value. And so in sharing you only accelerate everyone else's growth to process new things for each other. It's it's awesome. And it's just like no no failure in in just letting
0: people have what you have. So follow up question to that. So you said your identity is not in your resources. And I would agree. But to put you on the spot, where is your identity then? Where where do you find your identity?
1: I think I think honestly the biggest because it's hard to explain exactly what an identity is, but the, the only way you can really discover it is through honesty. Like the thing is you yourself, I think, you can't see your own identity. Like you can't actually because it's you, it's the way you think, it's the things you appreciate, it's and, and that's completely unique to you. And other people can see it, but your identity is always going to be revealed through the way that you say things and the way that you process things. So the way you take resources and then create something different, I could go so deep with this. I think your identity is something that you, you yourself can't actually, it's very hard to understand. You can really only see the way people respond to it and what people do with it, but you, you have to be honest. That's the only way you can really articulate yourself. And that comes back to copying again. It's really that like the way you, interpret other people and the way that you take other people's resources and express that or recreate or or what you might call replicate, it's always going to look like you, so you, you can't you can't really quantify your identity. That's one thing I'd say about identity is you can't quantify
0: it. But what you were just saying, it, it reminded me of like this analogy that I thought of one time. Can't remember the analogy, so I'm not gonna say it. But <laughs> <laughs> the concept is this, is basically, I think there's a reason why we can't see ourselves physically. Like we have to, someone else has to see us or we have to be in front of a mirror to see ourselves. I mean, yeah, I, right. think, I think it's symbolic of something. And so the reason why is because I found that the more that I've talked to people, the more that I've helped people, the more that I've explored other people's problems or lives, I've found more of myself. Yeah, yeah. i remember the analogy so (laughs) i kind of feel like each one of us has their life's jigsaw puzzle the way that you collect the pieces to the jigsaw puzzle is from getting it from other people well not always getting it from other people sometimes it's just getting it from yourself or maybe inanimate objects you know i think that you can find a part of yourself tearing apart a universal audio apollo twin somehow you know like (laughs) your pieces of who you are kind of like spread throughout the world it's your responsibility to go find them But on the same token, I kind of feel like we ourselves hold hundreds and hundreds and pro- thousands, tens of thousands of people's other pieces inside of us. And it's our responsibility to get it out to them.
1: I totally get that. I think I'd almost see it like you, you hear the phrase, like beauty is in the eye of the beholder. In a sense, I, th- I think you actually, you find yourself in, I call it speaking because that's just a general term for expressing yourself. But I think like in giving to other people or in sharing your resources or in the specific way that you do everything, whether it is, yeah, pulling apart, you know, a piece of software or hardware or in inventing something or in feeding somebody it's just like, like in everything that you do, you'll see yourself reflected and that's really the only way you can see yourself is is to actually express yourself which is why sharing resources is such a like no-brainer in a sense like keeping your cards close you'll never see who you are like if you actually express yourself and allow people to draw on the way you create and do things you'll only replicate yourself more and see yourself in humanity and and actually understand the way you are like giving is almost the only way to to see what you are. It's interesting.
0: I do believe that that there needs to be strategic giving away. So like, for example, if there's two people, you know, like, let's say you understand social media marketing really well, and the one person... Good guy, man. Some pretty small following, but you know you could give the information to him that has really helped you, and it'll really benefit him. Guy number two, same size, same situation, except he's a jerk. You don't really want to be around him. I don't think that you have a moral obligation to go and tell the dude that's a jerk and that's not treating you very well all your secrets. I kind of feel like in that situation, it's like, why would I do that? You know, he doesn't even want me around. Why would I go tell him all my secrets? But on the other guy, you know, that he's a good dude. He's just trying to grind and get to where he wants to be. Who, who? Am Mind to deny him
1: that he's going to value it. I tend to reference the Bible a lot because I like I like a lot of the philosophy in it. But I think that there's a scripture that says don't don't cast your pearls before swine. Um, good and that's, it's it's a really good one because it, it, it's and it's not necessarily about judging everybody to decide whether or not they deserve what you have, but it's realizing it's like an investment when you give something to somebody. There is actually a, you have to have yet yeah, strategy in that you realize it's actually, you you invest in everything that you give to. And so realizing that giving to someone who isn't going to care about it is a waste of resource. There is a degree of having like strategy and like wisdom in actually what you give because sometimes it it is a waste of effort to really give to someone who doesn't appreciate it.
0: And you, sir, just opened up a can of worms, but it's a good can of worms. You mentioned the Bible. I also noticed during the In the Daw interview, you also had like a Bible app on your dock. I I was like, (laughs) oh man, people are going to see that. That's like exposure, but I'm fine with that. That's cool, cool man. <laughs> so tell me about, I mean, what are your religious beliefs? So
1: I'm Christian technically. So I, I like, I don't really focus too much on denomination because I find it a bit like it can get a, get real hazy. I'd, like I'd rather get to know the person and ask them about their domination. But I
0: think, I guess you'd say I'm like Pentecostal. In the small town that I grew up in, I grew up in a town of 244 people. But next to that town was the big city, which is 5,000 people, which is still small. But in that city, there was three churches. There was the Mormon church, the Catholic church, and the Pentecostal church. I thought it was really funny that like out of any church in the world, we had a little Pentecostal church, but it was only for like Hispanic people because it was all like in Spanish, and so it was like really, it was, it's really weird. Actually, <laughs> now I think about it, that's awesome, man. So, are you? I mean, are you active in your belief? Yeah, a hundred percent. Like, I mean, uh, and this,
1: uh, you're right. It is a cannon worms in a way because I like. I guess I, in terms of like talking about my beliefs, I like to demonstrate more than I like preach to people because I feel like everybody's heard you know the Christian message, but I'd rather just. Live it out and let people see it. But I, yeah, I'm very active. Like, it definitely defines everything I do. But in saying that, I believe part of your jurisdiction in life is to learn from your experiences, that you're actually given a set of experiences so you can understand. Like, you're given a, p- a unique perspective on life. I've read a lot of the Bible and, you know, like I know a lot of scriptures and I can recite them all or whatever. But I'm learning almost the best way to understand the things that I believe is to actually like look at my experiences and see how they apply and try and actually use use what I've like, use the Bible as like a ruler or a measurement to actually look at life and go, how does this work? Yeah. So I guess that's like a big part of it. And then like, I mean, I guess the centerpiece for me is definitely like relationship with God. Like that's, that's my fundamental belief is that by grace we've been saved. So I'm able to ask and and receive and actually understand things from a, Humble, like I really don't know, point of view. The Bible is definitely a really good reference point. I really enjoy using it.
0: The common misnomer amongst the electronic music field, not just electronic music, I would say the music industry in general, is that most of the people inside the music industry are not religious. It's almost like if you are religious, you need to put your beliefs in a box when you're talking to other people. What I've found though, because I thought that too, I thought from what I've seen and heard that 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 makes sense, but the more that like I've kind of sat and talked with people and they've kind of broken down their doors the more I realize that that's not really true like there's actually a lot of people in the music industry that are extremely religious. I can think of three right off the bat. Amity, I don't know if you know Amity. Amity's a really, really good friend of mine. He's extremely Christian. Quicks is extremely Christian. I've heard that, yeah. Sam Matla is extremely Christian. Yo Mace. Oh, I knew, it. I knew yeah, Sam dude. Matla was Christian. Yeah, I don't dude. Know. Do you know who Yo Mace is? No. Oh, he's he's a really, dude, check him out. He's one of the suicide sheet boys and he is, oh dude, he's oh, incredible. Right. He's incredible. Anyways, he's super Jewish and he's like very active in it and everything. And, and the more that I talk to People. I mean, like, if we really want to start like getting into it, Lindsey Stirling's. Uh, you know, a Mormon. The piano guys are Mormon. I guess Skrillex isn't technically a practicing member, but his, his parents are extremely into Scientology. But I don't think it's something that we need to be ashamed of or something that we should shirk away from discussing. You know what I mean? If someone asks you, hey, Andre, are you a Christian? I don't feel like there should be, should I tell him? Uh, do, do I really want to go into it? Because that happens to me all the time. I'm, I'm assuming that happens to you too. Like, you're like, ah, how much should I convey to this person? For sure. I think I think the thing is, it is really a
1: lot about honesty and, and the music music industry you know as much as you can you can cut it off at surface level where it's like about money and you know doing shows and making cool art as soon as like the deeper you delve into someone's art the more you start to get close to who they are and actually and so there's a point where you actually can't go any deeper with your art unless you address everything in a sense you address your fundamental beliefs and how you look at life so a lot of people in the music industry i feel like are at least aware of whether they have a, whether they have like, you know, a a faith system or they just have a perspective on life. They they have to be quite clear on it because it, it defines how they do everything. You know, they have to find a perspective on life that allows them to express themselves cohesively. Yeah. So I feel like the only way to do that, really, a lot of people is that they, you know, they have to be open about their faith in some ways because their music will lead to it. I believe music is like an expression of identity in that, you know, you, you hear a piece of music and it totally articulates someone's way of thinking or a particular perspective. Like you're talking about something and there's little seeds of sort of everything you think about in there. And so really the only way you can write some types of music is to think a certain way. So for someone to really to understand you, it's almost like if you were to try and explain the type of music you wrote, you can't avoid talking about your spirituality or the way you see life it's just it, it's totally tied in
0: in the type of culture that comes specifically with our type of music you know like bass heavy music you know the culture everyone's getting high everyone's drinking everyone's smoking everyone's me 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 where's the next chick i can hook up with that's kind of the culture it is and with that culture being strong in our niche, how do you avoid it? How do you deal with it? How do you live with it? You know what I mean? I I think, again, this
1: comes back to honesty in that, I mean, in terms of encountering it, when I run into, you know, when I do gigs and that sort of thing, and, you know, I, I run into it, A, I'd come to a point in my journey where I just aspire to not be intimidated by it because theoretically I could do that and you know my belief is that there's enough grace for me to fall in and come out of that you know whatever that looks like I think everyone's journey looks different but I know for my personal choice I don't desire to get wasted every time I do a gig or you know sleep around or that sort of thing but that's from a place of honesty like I know I know I don't have to come in and tell other people how to live their lives I just go in there and my honesty is the spectacle of what I believe more than anything so as long as I'm completely humble in the sense that I go in and I just go yeah no, look I don't have have the right to tell you whether or not you should be doing this but this is just how i like to do things if, if you want to talk about like preaching that's what preaching looks like is being being an example of your own choices it's not like i don't have to think about someone else's journey and think why are they doing that why should you know whether or not they should be doing it i just look at who they are and i explain who i am and it's interesting that it sort of sucks that our, our, our music style has been associated with that i think our culture doesn't actually support some of or, or hasn't learned to understand some of the aspects of what our music expresses and there's an intensity to it that we otherwise don't know how to relate to you know people like the only way I can understand you know like a really heavy glitch hop song is to be wasted on LSD or something like that because they don't know how else to relate to it and so I think there's actually an exploration in terms of how to understand our music that we're yet to get to but at the moment for a lot of people drugs is the, or you know like having intense experiences like that is the only way to relate there's sort of a, a lot of questions raised by you know what culture your music brings up and you know because I think think you know there's definitely aspects there's a lot of aspects of the way my music is associated with culture that's actually unhealthy i mean i'm not going to stop making it i'm not going to be like oh well you know this is this is making people do bad things or whatever you can just make people hurt themselves that's not my responsibility i think it's It's
0: more that there is a way of thinking that comes with my music
1: that is 100% positive and it's my job to actually understand
0: what that looks like. If the type of music that you make is in a culture that maybe some people don't like, that they associate with quote unquote bad things, I don't think that is a reason for you to stop it. Yeah, no way. If that was the case, there would be no good hip hop ever because that was my entrance into music. And so I grew up listening to like NWA and Tupac and Notorious B.I.G. and The Game and Little Wayne. And I understand very, 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 very well why a lot of people think that hip hop or rap or whatever you want to call it is quote unquote bad and why most people don't want anything to do with it. But if that was to keep people from taking that concept and making it into something good, the world would be so much less because of it. There is so much good and wholesome, and like deep and like tear jerking hip hop songs that I could show you. And if someone was to have let that stigma take over, then we would have never had that product. Honestly, Andre, I think it's the same for you. You have incredible music and yeah, there is a stigma on bass music, electronic music in general. They're like, oh, you're just a bunch of druggies. You're just a bunch of stoners. You say what you will, but the potential that you have and that the electronic music industry in general has is unreal of what it can do for the world.
1: Yeah. A hundred percent. I definitely think that's true. Yeah. And I think, I think it really comes down to if we can stay pure to what we like about music because music is a, is a pure language. That's what I love about it is that before you even attach a culture to it, it says something like you hear something and you just like you're stirred up. And that's why like hearing music that you're not familiar with is weird initially because you don't know how to dance to it. You don't know how to think when you listen to it. You're just like, it makes you feel something that's completely unfiltered, unadulterated emotion. So music is this really pure language. And I think what, you know, our job as musicians is to actually shepherd that whatever, whatever culture that creates is is nothing to do with it. You know, people are trying to find a means to actually respond to a feeling that they
0: have. Backtracking a little bit when you were talking about your spiritual beliefs, and I agree with what you were saying, where it's like, I don't think you said this, but this is kind of what I caught from it. Like when you express it and it comes from a pure place and you have pure intentions, I don't think it should cause aggression on your part or the other person's part if they agree or disagree, because spirituality aside, this definitely applies to spirituality, but spirituality aside, I think it's essential as a human being to learn how to disagree without being disagreeable. When I think of disagreeable, I think of like people who are aggressive, the people you see on Facebook that are just like, no, this is my opinion and you have to agree with it. Or like that are really like passive aggressive. I think personally, you know, like for example, do you drink coffee? Yes. <laughs> okay, Mormons don't drink coffee. Should I get upset with you because you drink coffee? No, uh, exactly. That's it. If I was with you, if I was in Australia, I don't want to go to Australia. There's big bugs. <laughs> no, if I was in Australia and we were hanging out and you're like, Hey dude, let's go grab a coffee. Would it make sense for me to get upset? Would it make sense for me to, gosh dang it, Andre, you shouldn't be living this way. No, you know, like that just doesn't make sense. Literally, if you, if we were together and you're like, Hey, let's go grab a coffee. I'd be like, Hey, I don't drink coffee. You're like, okay. And that's sh- it. <laughs> and we, moved, Yeah. Do you like hot chocolate? Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <you> know? <laughs> and we would just basically move on. And that's fine because nowhere in any relationship I've ever had, or that I've ever heard of, do you sign a contract that says, from henceforth and forever, you and I as friends will agree on every single little thing until we die? Yeah, there's no point in the relationship at that point if you homogenize yourselves. (laughs) Exactly, dude. To me, what I think you are doing and what you are exemplifying, you are saying, "These, these are my beliefs, all right? These are my beliefs. If you agree with them, high five. If you don't, high five it's really okay that's kind of what i caught from what you were saying is that is that true yeah and that's the whole point
1: in honesty is that you you should present yourself 100% honest and that you should be like yeah this is how i think and this is what i believe i guess there's a point where you can go here's what i think we should live but i think really the only things you can present in a sense or if you're going to present an you know if you're going to present something you have an experience then you present it as an opinion you go i think this is the way things should work but that's always going to be subject to scrutiny you've got to be open to that but what you can present always. And this is my favorite thing is just to present honesty and life experience. You go, okay, well, I don't understand this, but I feel this way. Or I don't know how you live your life, but I've done this and this works for me. It's like you, if you can understand how you do things, then your your best tool is to be honest with people. And the whole point in relationship with, ha- with other people is is disagreement is a sign that you're two different people who have different things to offer, different experiences, different areas that you've excelled. So encountering those people online that when they, when they kind of like arc up and they're like, this is my opinion and they've got to like wrestle with everybody, there's going to come a point where that tool they use to measure everybody is going to break. Yeah. And that's really humbling. Like that's, that's what I describe as pride. It's not necessarily everyone glorifying themselves in the sense of like, look at me, but it's more thinking that you have a way of thinking that you can just force on everybody and just be like, yeah, this is how it... This this is how it works. And you know, like, like judging other people like that tool, if it, if it is beyond what you've experienced and what you're able to understand, then you've got to come at it with humility. Cause if you don't, then you're just going to come at it with this fragile idea or framework of a, it's an opinion. It's going to be flexible. You can't make it rigid.
0: You are strong. I like these you conversations. <laughs> I'm starting to paint a picture, but I don't want to assume. So this is why I'm asking. What is the reason why you do music? Is it is it related to what we've been talking about with like your personal beliefs and everything? Or is it more so just for the love of art and you just really enjoy it?
1: It's an interesting one. I think there's always going to be an aspect of being human that you can't calculate. And that's part of why what I'm learning to enjoy about it. So doing music for me, I guess, is something for a lot of years. I just I, I just love doing it. And I think I actually learn a lot from myself by learning what I respond to and what I enjoyed before I even calculated a reason for it. This is a lesson I learned. Like I, I'm just gonna I'm gonna come out and be honest and say that God told me this, but you can, you know, you can apply your own experience to this. But I had a conversation with him and he was like your heart learns a million times quicker than your head does. You can experience something, your head will always build the framework to catch up to it. But you've got to learn, have the humility to actually like walk into things first sometimes. So like what I've found is that in learning music, I've learned a a particular style or I've learned something from experience, just fleshing it out, just trying to make the thing that I liked about it, not just, you know, do the course and learn the style. I actually just made the thing that I liked. But then I came to another season where I couldn't take those same techniques and ideas that I had and use them exactly the same. I had to actually start from scratch again. So that's where your heart comes in and you just do what's important to you. And then your head catches up in a sense so that's what I've found is that with music I don't actually know 100% why I do it all the time and my head's catching up and that I'm learning the value in it and I'm learning how that actually translates to the world around me and what that's worth but for me it's you know it's an expression you know I'm captivated by a sound or something and I've just I've got to go after it I've got to learn why I love that thing and then there's this other part of me that's like well now you've got to talk about it you got to like make it something and I have this desire to create and I guess that's part of that is to do with like I guess I call it a spirit of wealth or a spirit. It's the same as spirit of creativity, where where it's like, as humans, we have this innate desire to just make something from nothing. I find something that I love, and I just want to digest it and take it in. And my heart you know, is just like kind of lavishing in this awesome experience. And then I have this part of me that's like, well, I've experienced this thing and the same way that identity is unquantifiable your experiences. And when you experience something that you're passionate about, your passion for that is unquantifiable. So you just find things that are desolate and make them into something, you know, you find random sounds and that's why it's almost fun to sample things that sound horrible. It's because you get this joy out of just making something out of nothing. So it's, it's those two things combined. It's, you know, loving something and wanting to, to create infinite wealth out of it. I call it wealth because, you know, wealth is the ability to make something from nothing.
0: Thank you. So very first off, so when you said that that God told you that specific sentence, first off, that sentence is beautiful. And I completely 100% agree with it. And second off, thank you for saying that because this is your personal belief. And I'm sure that's not easy to say. This is something that you truly believe. And I would go as far to say is that you know that God told you. Yeah. That's not easy to tell people because... Whether someone believes you or not, that's completely irregardless of whether it happened or not. Those very intense, sincere, spiritual moments that you have are real. They are very real and they are very sacred. And so thank you. For even sharing that, that 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 was amazing. Going off on like like the personal journey, I remember very vividly. Uh, I had this girlfriend when I was in high school for two years, and I remember one day I felt like I was at this crossroad, and I was like, should I continue to be with her? Should I not? We've had some good times. We've had some horrible times, like some really really bad times, <laughs> and so. I'm like, I don't know. For like my spiritual well-being, should I stay with her? And at that point, I truly do feel like God spoke to me. I felt it so strong. It's like, no, you should not go down that road. You should not. You need to be over here. I felt like it was, it was one of the most strongest impressions I've ever had. And so I was like, okay, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I can't wow. deny that. Yeah, and so... Well, I know this is this is like the short term payoff from from me following that voice about two weeks later. I was going to go to a family reunion with her um, ended up not, not, not going because we broke up, obviously. Anyways, she almost died because they went white water rafting white river rafting. anyways where it's like super intense right anyways it got flipped over I would have been in the raft with her of course I would have and she almost had she she almost drowned she had to be lifelighted so it's like as horrible as that is what if I went with what if I faced the same fate so that was something intense but in the long run looking at where I am now and looking at my family looking at everything I've done there is no way Andre that I could have accomplished what I'm doing now I just want you to know like thank you for, for sharing that, man, and for sh- being honest about it, dude.
1: appreciate you reciprocating that honesty as well with your own story. Because I think like your your life in a sense, like it, the Bible talks about this as offering yourself as a living sacrifice in the sense that you, like humility is what that looks like. It's like, I can't tell people how to think, but all I can do is offer myself as a spectacle, as an example of what you can experience in life, whatever that looks like. And however you interpret that is not up to me, but in, in just being honest and saying, this is what I experienced. This is how I think about it. And being raw, not telling people how to interpret it or telling people, this is the truth, but just being like, this is what I've experienced. This is what I believe. This is how I look at it. And just that in itself, just that pure honesty and that rawness is, is, you know, it it at least offers humanity a chance to grow, whatever that looks like, whether I'm right or wrong, doesn't matter if I'm humble enough to be like, this is my experience and and be open about it. Everyone can look at it and go, okay, well, this guy did this and failed, or this guy did this and succeeded. And just, I, I at least benefit humanity in my honesty, you know, that it doesn't, it doesn't matter whether I'm right or wrong, but I want to tell people what has happened to me. If you hide your experience and try to tailor it for people, you only keep humanity locked in. This idea of having everything right more
0: and more we're all still learning. Thank you, man. This is really, really, really intense and really good. With everything that you've experienced with your music career so far, what has been some of your favorite experiences? Like those experiences that you have, it's those experiences that you're like, this is why I do what I do. What has been some of those experiences for you? Seeing People respond to my music,
1: not just saying they love it, but actually creating something based on something I've done. And, and that comes back to that thing we were talking about in terms of seeing yourself reflected in humanity. Seeing someone inspired by what you do, A, it gives me this awesome sense of like, yeah, because like when I first heard Cohen sound, for example, that was just like mind blowing. I understood myself in so many ways than I had before, because I just felt this music and I had this this angst, but it wasn't like about punching people and shouting. It was like this awesome, inspired, beautiful. Like Cohen sound, just like for me, had all these amazing experiences tied into one, and I started creating from that because I understood myself through their lens of how they create. Like their music helped me look at myself in a different light and gave me a, a totally much clearer perspective of the way I am and what I love and from that i started to create it gave me the tools to actually make new things you know i like you've actually in creating music you help people develop and so in experiencing koan sound you know i developed as a person and i saw life through this amazing new light and so part of that is i know when I, i inspire someone they've had that experience they've seen something in life that i've you know i guess i say talk about but i've expressed it in my music and now they've received from it and they're applying it to their life and and building upon it and that for me is just like wow that's like I'm I get so excited when I see someone's done like oh yeah this is like a copycat style drum beat but I added this and this and like they think they're just copying me but they're making something completely new and I just like I get so excited about that Oh,
0: it's surreal they're they're like your your musical successors dude your musical descendants I guess you could yeah, your say your children <laughs> yeah, yeah your musical children you know with everything that we've been saying here do you have any final words or anything else that you personally like really feel like you need to say with anything that. We've been talking about. I mean, if
1: I had to leave people with a message, I feel like I, I'd really just want to say be honest. Like, that's the best thing you can do in some ways is really just be true to where you're at. Like what you like with no compromise whatsoever. Be passionate about what you're passionate about. Love what you love. Be annoyed about what you're annoyed about. But experience, you know, just experience stuff and be honest. Be true to your heart. That's what it is. it's just like a Disney moral. It's so crucial.
0: Final question for you. I only ask this when there's been like a hint of spirituality talked about in the podcast. And so basically, let's say that you were able to sit down and talk with God and you were able to ask him, one question, what would be the question that you would ask him?
1: Yeah, that's, that's actually quite a a hard one. Cause I, I do, I like, I do ask him a lot of questions quite often and have conversations about stuff. I think the thing that I'm most, most curious about is I want to see what humanity would look like as one heart. Like I want to see what, if, if, if you could summarize humanity in like in, in one emotion, one like desire or whatever that looks like, what,
0: would that be that would be my that would be my question what does everyone look like as one person at least this is how i translated your answer tell me if i'm on the right path but basically you would really like to see literally like what the perfect definition of like zion would look like where everyone's on the same path you know like there's not contention but there's still growth there's not murders there's not stealing you know like we're 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 helping each other out where would humanity be what would that look like is that what you're kind of what you're talking about Or what's even
1: before that, like, what's the, what's the heart of that look like? Like, what
0: do people look
1: like outside of all their yeah, that contention and that frustration and angst of, of like, you know, trying to figure out how everything works and not knowing like, what does everyone's just pure heart look like as one person it's actually such a like a weird broad question but it's just like what's the heart of humanity without all the mistakes and stuff
0: so again i want to make sure i'm on the right path so basically you would take humanity strip back all the vices strip back all the the bad and you know like get to a very pure place on an individual level and see how that looks collectively is that what you're saying yeah what do we want that's exactly what it is which leads to my follow-up question what do you think his answer would be to you? I
1: feel like the entirety of humanity is craving God in a way that we're actually 100% a part of. Oh man, this is so hard to put into like a really short sentence and it's really like daunting. I to join this though. I really like thinking about this. I mean, I know within ourselves, the ultimate goal is relationship with each other. We just want to relate, but be ourselves like to be, to be a hundred percent connected. But that's why I kind of bypassed it by saying, what do we all look like as one heart? So assuming that's all done, we're all, we all understand each other, but everyone's in their own lane, but a hundred percent appreciating each other and able to communicate. We're all growing. I I think the heart is really to explore the unknown, which to me is God, but it's like, we want to understand things that we on on our own. Like we want to understand things outside of ourselves. That's what we're we're looking for we're looking for the unknown and there's that that's that's god that's what we're looking for but it's this unknown and it's almost like our jurisdiction as humanity to actually understand the mysteries of the universe that's what we're chasing it's just that that relationship with the unknown that's that's our hunger is like and, and then and then in receiving that in experiencing things that we could never understand we express it so we actually become the the same way i listen to a piece of music digest it and then process it through my identity is how i feel like humanity is processing the universe like we're looking at it and going what is this and just experiencing it and then creating something
0: from it infinitely that's that's, that's what i feel like the answer is what came to my mind when you were talking about this is if you t- if you were to take all of humanity strip back all of the bad and get back to you know like the actual like core of humanity and what they want what their desire is is what you're saying is that all of us really just want to make the unknown known is that what we want That's exactly it, is to identify the unknown. Oh, man, I'm like shaking right now. This is really cool. (laughs) Dude, this is freaking mind-blowing, man. So I I completely agree because like I think about anything, like anything in my life that caused me anxiety or depression or anything, and it was caused because of something unknown. Or, Or like I think about anything that got me giddy. Kind of like how you're feeling right now. Yeah. It's me figuring out things I didn't know or figuring out things that were unknown, making the unknown known.
1: I think this is one of the most intense conversations I've had in my entire life. Like I've never actually had to really go this deep. That's awesome, dude. Thank <laughs> you
0: for being a host for such like honest questions. Dude, thank you for showing up to the party, man. You brought the answers, man. This is all you. Maybe I should have saved the, the previous question for now. But after everything, every everything that we just talked about, is there any last words or anything you want to add on to anything that we've talked about.
1: I, I guess it, it would be the same as the message I left, which is just get out there and explore the unknown. Honestly, like don't don't pigeonhole yourself to what you know. Understand the unknown and, and and be humble. And if you fail, be honest about failure. If you're hurting, be honest about hurting. If you're passionate about something, be honest about being passionate about it. Like your value is your heart. The human heart is the thing that chases the unknown and, and makes it into something. So that's
0: that's your value. That's what you are as a human being is a heart. I'm gonna need a couple of days to recover from. This. This. Yeah, I, need, I need some water. <laughs> we'll wrap it up, so you can go grab your water. And Andre, Copycat Butterworth, is that really your last name? Is Butterworth? Yeah, yeah. That is such a powerful last name. Andre. <laughs> Andre, Copycat Butterworth, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate this. Did you have a good time? Oh man, I had an insanely good time. Thank you so much for having me. And now here's this week's podcast version of In the Daw with Copycat. Sound design, let's just hop right into it because it's such a cool sound design. Let's break down, right in the drop, first big bass synth that comes in. That's actually, so this one.
1: I mean, there's a bit of foley and like grain layering in there, but the main bass is actually, it's like this weird Frankenstein of a few FM8 basses I made. I've actually split the same bass up. What I've done is I've actually made a few different FM8 basses and I kind of liked the tone of all of them because I'll make like 10 second phrases of that bass. There were certain parts of it that I really liked and I kind of wanted to hear them all together. So I literally like faded them, like the best bits of all of them side by side. So it would kind of like scrub through all of the best bits, kind of like a little like montage. I put that phrase into a sampler and messed with that. So the bass looks like this. Right. I've also split it. So I've, I've got a low pass one and a high pass one. I was like super custom with the tone. I don't normally do this. This is just like as a weird occasion where I just like mess around with <laughs>
0: this what you have in this sampler or simpler sampling okay yeah in this in sampler right here no that's a simpler is it a simpler am i going crazy it's sampler i think wait wait no maybe it's simpler simpler but simpler is a sampler sorry it's really early basically you went into fma and you made a bunch of bases and you rendered them out into one audio file and you kind of like how you said, like you made a montage or like a Frankenstein base, where it's like you took the best parts and then you faded them all together so they're all in one piece and then you drag, you consolidated that and dragged that into the simpler. Is that what you're saying?
1: Yeah, exactly. So I basically, I made a bunch of different bases and bounced them all out separately and then just like chopped out the bits that I liked, which they're all kind of based around kind of 808-ish waveforms. I guess they were sort of simple, like some of them are pretty close to just like 808-ish shapes. The reason it kind of works from bottom end and top end is that I've, with FM, and with operators, just FM synth in general, I can be kind of more subconscious, rather where with some real digital synths, I find you, you get a really dodgy bottom end. Then I've taken the best bits of that phrase, that montage that I made, and basically split it off into top end and bottom end. So I've taken pretty much the most bottom endy 8080 part of the bass and used that as the bottom, and I've made like this MIDI bend here. And then the top end is a different part of the phrase, but I guess because it's the same note, I wasn't really particularly theoretical about this. I was kind of tactile. I just felt it out until it felt right. Um, I high passed this one. So this is laid over the top. And so there's little bits where I've dropped the actual, if you look at the automation here, I've dropped the high pass down to sort of below your low mid so you can hear some of the valleyness in the bass. And I sort of tweaked that throughout the song where I felt like I wanted to just duck in with a little bit of that like neuro growliness and then there was parts where I just wanted to be more bassy with a little bit of like foley top end kind of thing. So the two of them together kind of sound like this. And it's good because it gave me like I wasn't using two different neuro basses. I was using the same bass kind of or the same tone but I could decide where I wanted the sub hits to be and all the emphasis without using a different base. I was kind of like using the same tone.
0: The way that you're high passing the top end of the base here is that you're doing it through the simpler. Is there a reason why you did it through simpler as opposed to through like an auto filter or anything?
1: Not really, actually. I feel like I might've actually just done some high passing and stuff and then added effects on later. But my EQ is pretty like loose, like arbitrary I just boosted some and then added a distortion. I've pushed the bottom end a bit into the saturator. It's creating a little bit bit of tone and then I'm OTT'ing it, you know, just to keep everything sort of flat. But I think I I might have added that later and I've just started... With the most available filter that it was, I didn't add one. I just used the one that was in the auto filter because cool. I don't think there's an envelope on it or anything.
0: So when you're doing these type of neuro bases and you have the filter, because that is a huge part of like the neuro bases. That like for those who don't know, the filter cuts in and cuts out. It kind of like almost seemingly random. I didn't realize that you would use a steeper slope for that. So here you're using a 24 pulse slope. In the past, I've used a 12. Have you found more success using a 24 or, or higher? I mean, it's really depend on depending on how much tone you're trying to get out of your filter, but like a
1: steeper slope will give you like a much more distinct resonance. Like if you're going for valley sounds and like, you want to hear like a whoosh kind of sound out of it a sharper, like a steeper slope will give you that sort of distinct sweep. So
2: it's a way it kind of looks like there's two notes laid on top of each other, um, for the, for that bass and sub, um, are they slightly offset to give a bit of a, like a slide from one note to the next? So there's, there's one there and then there's also one further along as well. I
1: think this chopping I've done here, actually if I look at where the mini notes start, Uh, yeah that's just that's maybe i'm just using one midi note from that and i've just like chopped it out of a phrase yeah
2: just to confirm as well so where you got say on on like that clip um is 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 that like like a slide sort of thing from one note to the next yeah
1: Yeah, so i've got portamento on it and i'm just like doing a quick making the sub kind of dip up for a real quick sec to kind of give it like a a shake or like a kind of
2: sound (laughs) I always forget where the voices setting is in Simpler because I I tend to use Sampler with
1: this one I literally just set glide I don't know if you've got I can't remember if you've got voices with Simpler maybe with Sampler but with Simpler you just click glide and it'll just do it and then you Mm -hmm. can see time here. Yeah,
2: I'm, I'm, I must be thinking of Samba things. So in, in, in Samba, it defaults to six voices, of things. So you have to manually set one, otherwise
0: it'll just play two at the same
2: time.
1: I've only been using Ableton yeah. since the beginning of this year properly, so I'm a little bit sketchy on some of it, but I think that's how it is.
0: Which is uh, super cool. If you look down in the dock down there, you can see FL Studio on a Mac. That's pretty dope. Can you explain how you got that on your Mac? Initially, well, I got this Mac like three years ago. So
1: back then, FL Studio put out uh, like a public beta and it was like their mac version of of fl studio that's how they pitched it when i looked into it it was basically just a wine bottled version of fl studio which is windows only so to download it i i downloaded this version of FL Studio, which came with a wine bottler set, has all of the bare minimum Windows subfolders and installs that on your Mac rather than having to do like a partition or anything like that. It just installs a set of Windows subfolders. So I have a mini version of Windows on my Mac that just runs FL Studio. But then the dumb thing was they released an update for FL Studio that they they didn't release it with the like Mac beta thing so to update it i had to go through this really weird process of like going into the run command in the window in the wine bottle but what they did is they put like a date cap on fl studio so because it was a public beta it meant that you could anyone could try it and then it would expire after a while. So what I have to do now if I ever want to open FL Studio is change the date to pre-May 2014 to open it. So up until this year, that's what I did every single time. And then I'd like go to check my Facebook and it'd be like, your computer has the wrong date. You can't use the internet. It was exhausting, so I got over it.
0: Dude, that sucks.
1: Half the plugins didn't work either. I couldn't get massive to work. I had to like resample everything, like record it into a sampler and then load it in. That's like been the last three years of producing on FL Studio. Right, you just get used to it, I feel like. You don't realize it sucks until you look at everyone else's setup and you're like, oh, well, you can just use MIDI with Massive. Yeah. And it's just like, that's a normal thing, except when you're used to not doing it. I don't know. Did
2: you feel creatively held back by having to kind of do that weird workaround around in FL or did you get so used to it that you could still almost make any, anything you wanted anyway?
1: I mean, you do get used to it, but I mean, obviously once I, like when I started playing with Ableton, being able to just load a massive patch in and just like play with the MIDI, you know, that was something I enjoyed. I was like, Oh crap, you know, we're missing out. But I guess you you do adjust to whatever it is you you're doing. there's just pros and cons. That's all it is like I found a workflow the same way, like in adapting to Ableton. I've lost some things that I had with FL in terms of just like some of the plugins and some of the like sampling methods I had were a bit different, you know, there's pros and cons to whatever setup you've got and you just adapt and develop a workflow. So I just worked around it, I guess.
2: Do you tend to work on sound design as a whole separate process to writing the track or is it a... They're
1: both. I mean, it's all, yeah, a bit of both, honestly, like I'll have some sessions cause sound design is kind of the thing I enjoy the most, like songwriting is something I've, I've had to spend a couple of years, like just like looking at and reassessing. Cause that's where I sort of fall short, but sound design there's sometimes where I just feel like doing sound design. So I'll do a big session. I eventually, after a while figured out that I was doing new sounds nearly for every track on top of just having random times where I do sound design. So I started saving them into like consolidated. Well, consolidated is the pretty poorly applied term here because it's not very concise but I say I started saving drums and you know basses and stuff so I don't have to do new sound design for every track Did you coin
0: the term neurohop
1: No that was um cursor. yeah I think that was like 2011 or something he came up with that um, because it was like hip-hop slash neuro drum and bass and he, and it was kind of a joke and people just adopted it he actually re- has a song called neuro hop i'm in the wikipedia page for some reason for being like a, a founding member but i feel like i'm just like a, a disciple
0: when i first listened to your music that's kind of what i got it was that like the sound design was definitely like neuro drum and bass kind of vibe and then you know it kind of felt slower like it was like a, a hip-hop beat and so now that like we're kind of looking at this Yeah, you're at 87, which is like a prime hip-hop BPM. So tell me about some of the characteristics of NeuroHop.
1: Hip-hop is a big influence for that with me. Koan sound, I'd say, like for a lot of people who are into Neuro and NeuroHop and that sort of thing, Koan sound is like a massive influence. So they introduced me to a lot of the themes that I work with now. Their style and a lot of their mid-tempo stuff kind of got me into listening to hip-hop. So artists like Jay Diller and Madlib and that sort of thing... Um, sort of inspired some of the more looser kind of like mid-tempo feels I've got going on now. Like say with my drums, um, this is a pretty weird rhythm. But if you look at it, based on what I've learned from like Jay Dilla and Madlib and that sort of thing, I do a lot of offbeat drum rhythms. So like this snare here is a bit early, which is like very kind of Jay Dilla. I'd say like a lot of Jay Dilla stuff is very like. So he's just a hip hop artist is like a lot of his stuff is like, he has early snares or late hi hats. So all that sort of stuff gives it more of like a loose on beat feeling rather than like just a straight kind of like cut up, into clean sections feeling. Kicks as well, this one I didn't, but I'll often, with anything on the half beat, um, with hip hop stuff, I'll like push them late a bit. It gives this really interesting kind of like drive because there's less of a gap between the kick and the snare on your half beats. It's a rabbit hole that one, like beat drums. You can just like dig really deep in and mathematically how it works. I think I kept a lot of the kicks in this one pretty much on grid. Oh no, there's a little bit of a late one there. That's sort of to give more of like swing. You can like cut instead of cutting a beat up into quarters, you cut it up into six and you've got like, I feel like that's the closest thing to perfect swing is like, if you cut a beat up into six. So I've sort of pushed this kick forward towards landing on a sixth grid. So if I do triplet grid here, you should be able to see it. So that would be a six of a beat there. So I've sort of pushed it a bit forward to get a bit more swing. Little tweaks like that give it more of like a hip hop feel because a lot of old hip hop stuff was they'd like played it on an MPC or something. And I feel like they weren't conscious of, you know, the kind of timings they were doing. It was just kind of like, oh, yeah, I want to play a, a, hip, a rhythm that's a bit loose or whatever. So they would just kind of drum it in a loose way. Um, but that's what it looked like when I dropped, you know, I'd like drag, you know Jay Dillers tracks onto the door and just look at how they lined up with the grid and instead of just assuming that it was a mistake I'd just be like maybe there's a reason that sounds the way it does, so I just sort of like copied the rhythms out. So yeah, hip-hop's a massive influence for Neurohop obviously. I guess a lot of it's rhythmic to be honest, a lot of it is to do with rhythm and movement, everything sweeping within the drums and kind of like giving emphasis to the kick and the snare or kind of like driving things based around the drums, that's like a big characteristic of Neurohop I think.
0: You got your kicking, your snare that's going on you move them, give them some swing and whatnot. Is there any other uh, drum elements that you put in? I mean, is there hi hats? Is there crashes? Is there anything like that to kind of help aid the groove? Yeah, for sure. I use kind of like lo fi hi hats, I really like and that sort of thing, but
1: I've sort of shifted a lot more towards sort of organic sounds like Foley and that for movement. Although I will generally use some kind of distinct hi hat, uh, lo fi kind of sounding hi hat, like something kind of dirty. This one has this really weird hi hat. Yes, yeah, this rhythm's kind of weird like it's like sort of perfectly on grid here and then on some of these off beats that i had a bit late but yeah aside from that with this one there's a lot of like weird foley movement going on and actually the leaves in there as well because that was from a grain session so i use a lot of like lead-in stuff with a lot of my rhythms even when writing melody i sort of aim to to lead into the next drum hit generally the last half beat before the beginning of a bar, I'll use some sound to kind of lead into the next kick and then like sweeping into the snares or, ki- or kicks. So I know there's a kick here. Um, like that folly bit's leading into that kick. This folly bit's leading into the beginning of the next bar. So you can kind of hear like this, like sucking sound. Like this. And then this here. So all of that sweeping and stuff kind of just gives the drums a lot more push. Sometimes you kind of, it's good to like fake as well. So with this one, there's like kind of a sweep to where a kick would be, but there just isn't one there. It almost sweeps to like a gap, but it feels like there's an emphasis on that little chunk of rhythm where there isn't anything happening except for that lead, except for that little lead stab. So it's mostly foley, hi hats, anything that just kind of like gives the drums push.
0: So you go in and you you put in your your drum beat, you make it a little bit off off the grid to give it some groove, and then you go and you do some granular stuff like that, and then so you have the the sweeps into the drum hits, whether it's a kick or whether it's snare, to reinforce that groove. Is that is that what you're saying?
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's exactly it. Do you find it best to work like to get all the drums, all the, all the little foley noises in, all the granular bits in first, and then do the the main bass sounds and stuff, or do you kind of work with the bass the, the whole time?
1: It varies. Like both foley and the and some of your bass ca- bass sounds in terms of mid range, anything aside from the actual sub and bass region, they can they can very much fill the same ra- range. So like a neuro bass can have the same effect that a foley sweep might. If you have something that kind of has like a notch sweep through it or a filter sweep, and I'll actually sometimes in terms of of like sculpting a rhythm to give a track a particular movement, I actually might just put a low pass on a bass to specifically weave into certain drums or like to roll into certain drums. I haven't really done it much with this track except for that high pass I've got going on. In terms of starting with one or the other, I'd just get the drum bits out first where I have a rhythm that I want. And then I'll either layer in, Foley or bases if I'm if like it's generally it, I generally prioritize my favorite sounds first So if my neuro bases is sounding really good, I'll just try and make something good out of that Or if i've got a really good bunch of foley sounds i'll just try and make something good Out of that because then i've just got like a good bed to kind of work with if, if even if I don't have a bass Phrase per se if i've just got like a good drum beat and some you know nice foley sweeping it Making it sound good then whatever I add to that I know to some degree will still sound good. Neurobasses can have a very similar effect and I actually treat them kind of the same in that I'll, I'll just make my basses sort of sweep into the drums or emphasize a drum hit.
0: Two questions about your kick and your snare. Number one, what is your sidechain settings that you got going on? And number two, do you do anything to particularly make your drums hit hard? Because they kind of, when I was listening to it, it really like just smacked me in the face. So sidechaining is pretty basic um, in that
1: I'll just... So generally just kick and snare. And I've only just recently started experimenting with like multi-band sidechain and that sort of thing. But literally I've done that on like two track ideas and I'm still not like... So this track was just like basic... Um,
0: um, I, pre- I, pre- I sidechain most things. How do you like the whole multi band sidechaining?
1: I feel like I don't know enough about it to make a good call on it, but I tried it on one track recently and there was just this one sound that wasn't working. And then I threw some multi band sidechain on it with both the kick and the snare and it was just like loud and fit with the drums so perfectly and i was like whoa it just worked really well for that one sound i didn't like i tried on a couple of other things and it didn't quite work and that's just because of my lack of knowledge i don't exactly know what i was doing wrong it's just the drum group holy crap i've actually side chained the hi-hats in there that's how sloppy i've been with this track so i've actually side chained to the whole drum group it's like even the hi-hats are triggering it a little bit.
0: In sidechain settings, I've never seen a ratio that low. So
1: that's just for the one that's like for the sub bass. Uh, what else have I sidechained in here? There's probably some sidechain on some of these grain sounds. Although I think I've done audio fades for a lot of this, just for a bit more control. I don't know, no sidechain for the top end.
0: With that ratio so low, does that give you a specific sound that you just, that you just like? Is it more of like a gentle sidechain so it's not so extreme? Or... I, I think
1: with sidechain is probably one of the things I think about the least in some ways like that one I, I think it's honestly that I just haven't even looked at the ratio I've just like <laughs> dropped the threshold down to the point where it's pushing the volume down enough so i'm more listening to what it's doing to the sound but even then the fact that the hi-hats are going through it is kind of like maybe i didn't i know sometimes i actually doubled up on that i've actually done volume fades as well as see i don't have reasoning for this this is what's bugging me i don't want to like make a statement and be like this is how you should do it generally i think i generally do pump the ratio up a bit higher but just with this particular sound i think i just pulled the threshold down till it was ducking the volume enough and i was like yeah i'm happy with that I didn't want it to like push it down too much. But I've also done this random volume fade here for this one a little bit.
2: If I remember correctly, I think two is, is the default and I think that's the default release time. So I'm, I'm, I'm guessing you put it on and then pull down the threshold. I suppose the threshold is slightly lower than why it might be used to seeing it as well, so which is kind of why the ratio might look fractionally low. Um, cause you, you, you can get the same result mathematically, um, by putting the threshold down further.
1: I mean, you can see I haven't changed the attack or the release. I'm pretty sure that's the default. So I think I've just chucked it on and just pulled the threshold down. Yeah. And I think now I've started doing it where I'll, I'll actually, if I, if I'm using a drum group like that and I only, you know, I don't want the hi hats to come through, then I'll just use the EQ setting so I can solo out a band and actually just, yeah just use the bottom end of the drum group rather than having the hi-hats
2: how do you organize it in a project like this because I, I suppose it, it might make sense to you when you're working on it but certainly at a glance it, it looks quite hard to keep keep track of what's going on from
1: it uh, i'm not gonna lie i'm struggling a bit <laughs> <laughs> like this project is a real messy one and i think because of how i learned to write in fl studio like fl studio you've just got like a big canvas and everything you put on it is confined to like patterns or individual audio files so patterns would be like midi groups but with as many sounds as you want in them and it just kind of shows you like a rough representation of all the MIDI clips sitting next to each other. And so I kind of got used to just putting sounds all bunched together the way I was looking at them. And so with Ableton, I'm still like consolidating my workflow a bit and because I've done so many bits of sound design like I've just got the weirdest named things sitting here that are not being used. This is probably one of my most messy projects. In terms of finding stuff in projects all I've started doing is just moving stuff to the top. So if I, if I know I'm using the sound and there's a whole bunch of sound design crap in between um, I'll turn off the things that I'm not using and then just move them to the bottom. So everything that I need is sitting at the top uh, but with this one it, it's pretty sprawled out.
2: I don't know if you guys have seen but the, the new version of Ableton that's coming out early on earlier in the to 2018 we'll have groups within groups which which should make uh, organizing quite a lot easier. I'm
1: starting to use a little bit more groups like I, I've only done it a bit with the drum group. I'm finding groups are, are super handy for just keeping stuff together that's the furthest I've gotten with that I think
0: Not to make anyone jealous but I'm actually recording my vocals through uh, through Ableton 10 right now and it's pretty freaking dope.
1: Some of the stuff you were telling me about Ableton 10 the other day I was like sounds so good.
0: The beta of it is better than the full version of, of Live 9 man it's it's so good that's a little
1: shortcuts and stuff question
0: yeah when you first pulled it up it looked like parts of this project was up to like 10 minutes in length and maybe even longer what's going on there so what i've
1: done here i'll generally have like like this track in particular i had a lot of goes at writing stuff with the same sounds so i think i've probably had like six or seven different bashes at trying to write a drop out of the sounds I've made because like I guess that's kind of my bent on writing on writing songs as I start with sounds that I like and then I'll kind of just try and make them work together so I think the first drop is, this is it. I guess It had some ideas in it that I kind of liked, but it just was too messy for me. Like I couldn't, it felt a bit all over the place. So I've got a whole bunch of ideas like that, just sitting the project or sometimes it'll be a really close duplicate to a drop that I'm working with. And I started to get to a point where I was going to make a change and I was like, I don't know if this is going to be a good idea. So I'm just going to copy this and leave it somewhere else while I like, delete this section and or like I'll delete this whole drums like whole set of drums and put something else in my my room is kind of like a similar representation of what I do is just like when I'm not wanting to use something right now just like put it on a chair or something (laughs) just like leave it there that's what I do in projects I'll just like I'll put an idea to the side and just like keep it there because I might use it or I might not
0: that's really cool so just so I understand what you're saying so like you'll make an idea and you're like maybe I want this later maybe I don't and so you'll copy that over like clear like six minutes over Into your project file just to have it out of the way, but have it if you need it. And then if you do it multiple times, so be it. And then if you want to go back and take it and and use it, you can go back and grab it and bring it into like the main part of your project. Is that what you're saying?
1: Yeah, exactly. And sometimes it might be like a a little piece of an idea that I got right. And when I've had a new attempt, I've done everything better except like, I don't know, maybe the foley movements and the other idea were just. Better, so I can just take a piece of that and put it back in. So it's good to just have it sitting there, and you can go back and listen. And also, you can check your progress. So instead of like saving a new version of the project, you can just scroll across and listen to that totally different use of those sounds and see if you've done a better version or not, rather than having to like close it down and reopen the other version.
0: And is that a pretty essential part of your, of your workflow? I mean, do you do that in like every project file? I do in all the songs that I've finished. I find there's a
1: degree of that. Yeah. Where I've just like, when it's getting down to like the finer details of the groove and that sort of thing. And I, and I'm pretty close to being happy with it, but I want to make a drastic decision and just trying something completely different, you know, for the risk of screwing up an idea that's, you know, at 80% instead of, you know, like, deleting a section to rearrange it or whatever, I'll just keep it in the exact condition it's in where I know I'm kind of happy with it uh, and just have another go. And usually I'm, fi- I'm happy with the decisions I've made, but it's almost just like, I'm, I don't want to take the risk of deleting it.
2: Do you also master in the same project then? Or, or do you ex- export it or just export a region and then master that? Or?
1: Um, I, when I have done mastering for myself, so this track, I actually sent off to another guy to get mastered. And, and I guess that's a creative energy thing for me. I like, I like to be able to just send it off and let someone who has the creative energy you know who's hearing it for the first time just have a go at polishing it up mastering i I like that but at the same time when i have mastered it i like to bounce out just because it's you know i mean it's easier on cpu i don't know if there is like a perk to doing it in the project like in the same project but when i've done it i just like to bounce it out so i'm not thinking about you know i'm not making a random sound design tweak while i'm just trying to master it you know because like you can nitpick for you know forever you can tweak that last two percent and i just don't want to think about that a
2: common thing quite a few people struggle with is almost deciding when the tracks finish because especially with all this kind of detailed music you can almost keep adding new things and changing things forever so how do you how do you kind of Know when the track's done, or do you not really know?
1: It's hard, honestly. I feel like I always feel like I'm cutting it short when I when I finish a track. I, I try and write two separate drops generally. That's what I'm where I'm sort of at at the moment. So I've done like this first drop here, and then I had like this second. I find once I've got the sections down packed, I've got the the main things where they need to be. Like I know that the arrangement is right. I'll just, I'll end up just listening to it over and over and just like smoothing over the transitions. Um, And then I guess when it's at a point where there's nothing too jarring and I can listen to it the whole way through without like really cringing at something, I'll cut it there. But I'm never 100% happy. Like I'm always like... Right, I just need to get it out or I'm like past the deadline or something like that. So yeah, I'm never hundred percent satisfied, but I feel like you, you don't regret it later. Like I find a lot of the time there might be little things you nitpick, but once it's up there, it's like, I don't know, I could be investing my creative energy into a new idea.
0: At the very end of the song, you have this vocal going on and it sounds like stretched and, and all kinds of stuff. What did you do to it? That, that was pretty cool so i guess it's become like a
1: trope now which i learned from space laces which which was to put like little i guess it's a meme i guess at the end of my song (laughs) it's (laughs) terrible with this one i actually made like two or three and trialed them so that's become a creative process in itself which is kind of cringy (laughs)
2: so
1: so i actually have a bit of corpus on this one which i have the automation for Yeah. Not dumb, just strange and totally useless. Um, where with the corpus, I've actually like tuned the corpus and I figured out you can do this with MIDI now, which is so much better than the way I've been doing it. I've been tuning it by ear with this. I did like three different notes of me saying the word bees. And I've, each time I've tuned the corpus to that note, and then like played with the decay and the radius to make it like ring out. Yeah, so this little like ring note here is like just the decay being maxed out. And I've bent the tune ever so slightly to kind of make it decay. And there, there is a little bit of warping in this. Oh no, no, this has just been resampled, I think. I think most of it is just that corpus. <laughs> That's so Johnny Pearson. From a night owl collective. <laughs> yeah, I just I just took the little inhale he did at the end of his laugh and stretched it a bunch. <laughs> and there's he yeah, had corpus on that as well.
0: I always forget about corpus though. Corpus is so freaking weirdly cool. You
1: can make basses straight up just with corpus. Like I started doing it where I'd just use like a little click or something to trigger the corpus. And then I'd use like maybe the tube or the pipe setting uh, and just make it resonate and then apply a whole bunch of effects to that. And because it creates a full spectrum of this like really cohesive set of harmonics, it's just like this perfect little ringing bass. It actually comes out sounding really good sometimes.
2: What warp modes were you using? I, I saw you use Beats. Did you use uh, the grain warp mode earlier on as well? or
1: Yeah, Beats for that one. So that was just for like a kind of clicking repeat sound. <laughs> yeah, Texture yeah. for that one. I've been using a, a little bit of Complex Pro at the moment. Particularly for vocals, it's good because it has that formant. Like it recognizes formants, so if you like did flick it on and you want it to retain some of the sound, like some of the like harmonic content, while you just pitch the root note down, you can you can leave your formants up, which is kind of handy. Bees, bees. If I pitch that down. Bees, 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 bees. That formant kind of retains some of the like harmonic shape, whereas if I just knock that right down.
2: Bees. Bees. Bees.
1: Bees. 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 Damn, i've been enjoying that lately that's kind of handy
2: what was the most difficult part of this track and, and I was, was what was the most difficult part for you um was it the songwriting or the the mixing
1: or? mixing uh, i think i think actually it would have to be songwriting And like, obviously, the scattered bunch of ideas here is kind of evidence of that. I had so many different goes at trying to come up with the second drop. Even once I'd come up with it, I just wasn't 100% sure. And the label that I'm working with, I had to get so much feedback on arrangement from them because sometimes I find like I had four different drop ideas that I was all relatively happy with but the one that I featured first kind of defined how you heard the rest of the track. So I had to get someone else to actually listen to it and say, Oh no, this is the one that I really like. And this one like hits me hardest. And then this second one feels like a really good follow-up." So I spent a lot of time on that and also just deciding how long my section should be because I had a bad habit of like over like making stuff way too long. So this track, it was originally probably five minutes long. And when I got some arrangement feedback, we cut it back to like three and a half minutes. That was probably the hardest part for me was just making, arrangement decisions and songwriting and then getting this second drop to have a rhythm that felt right without being too close to the original idea
0: basically if you woke up tomorrow and everyone forgot and no one remembered it and you wanted to release it again would there be anything that you would do different in this project
1: yeah actually there's one the this section so I found now, despite how much feedback I got on arrangement, maybe I'd probably end up doubting this later and just going back to what I've got now. But this second drop, I found it actually from a lot of my friends listening to it, uh, the best reaction I got out of it, out of all the drops I put into this song, was the second half of the last drop, which was basically the original idea before I changed the lead sound, which is the different lead sound as the one you hit now in the first drop. So this this idea here. <laughs> so I found when I like I was showing a few friends this song and they'd listen the whole way through the song and be like, yeah, this is sick. Get to that drop and go, oh man, that drop idea is so good. Because it's the same idea as the first one, but it seemed that they didn't really feel it up until they heard that lead. And I don't know, that might that might have just been their reaction to the whole track, but I always felt like that was the, that was the part that got the best reaction, despite the, it's only a really a slight variation between this beat and this beat, which is just... That that um, but even in saying that, I still really like the sort of weirdness of the of the original, like the initial lead that I have in the drop. So I might change that. I feel like every time I go back to this project and I was just like looking at some of the o- other ideas I had in here, there's some some elements that at the time, because I'd like spent so many hours into creating these drops that I got sick of them and created something different. Now that I'm listening to them with a fresher mind, some of the ideas that I threw out because I wasn't into them at the time because I just heard them too much, they're actually a a bit better than I thought. So I'd probably reintegrate some of the things that I took out.
0: Would you like our feedback on your song? Yeah, no, I definitely love your feedback. So the first feedback, Your arrangement view is extremely small and it's kind of giving me anxiety. Just remember that you can press option command B and it'll close your browser. So good. And also your overview up top. Do you use your overview very much? Not really, except just like, no,
1: even then I just like drag around like this. So no, I actually didn't know if you could shrink that.
0: Go to the view
1: up top man. oh yes yeah, just um oh, yeah, yeah.
2: Awesome. To know. i learned something myself as well
1: no that, that, that helps a lot i'll definitely use that now wait because you taught you taught me the hot key with the browser and the and like every day i've produced since you told me that i've used that
0: that's the first bit of feedback because i remember you told me that like you had this small little window of thing and i was like dude he really does like it's <laughs> just tiny little and then i would say since you're into like you know a huge part of hip-hop is your influence obviously in neurohop Something. Have you ever gotten to scratching? Only just recently, because I I won a, a set
1: of um turntables um just from this random comp I did, and I um I, I didn't I never really liked the sound like maybe a little bit, but I was like oh, I don't get it, and then I started actually playing around, and there's something physically really fun about it. So I've just started messing around with just like crossfader
0: and, you know. So you actually really do have like turntables for you to to do that on. Yeah. Cause what I was going to say for all those of you listening, there's a mad Zach tutorial that shows you how to take your push, your Ableton push and turn it into basically a turntable so that you can scratch with your push. It's insane because basically, you know, because you're thinking right now, like, well, how would you do that? Would you just use like the encoders? Would you use the knobs to scratch? Actually, you have it mapped to your, you have like certain parameters and certain devices that are up to help you create the effect of scratching, but you just threw it through the buttons. And so you load up a sample and you can like type in your rhythm and everything. And, and like, it's really crazy. Go check it out. And so that's, that's, because do you have a push
1: yeah i have the first one
0: okay so i'd highly encourage you to check it out because it's just really really cool because you know with hip-hop because i come from a hip-hop background scratching was a huge thing in hip-hop like a gigantic thing and so now i'm just thinking like what part of hip-hop have i not seen incorporated in what you're talking about right now in this like neurohop thing and i haven't seen scratching incorporated and i agree that like for the most part like scratching is pretty cool but some of it is kind of eh I guess you would say. I guess it's a bit arbitrary. Like you kind of just like throw
1: scratch. Like some some tracks I've heard it on, they just throw it on. Like they don't really take time to articulate the rhythm. I think Lone Drum is one of the only dudes I've heard do it really well. Yeah. Um, like he takes good sounds and scratches them in.
0: Kind of feel like you with your sound design chops and like your, your rhythmic chops, your arrangement chops. I feel like you could do something really, really cool with scratching because you've done cool crap with other crap. I think that could be really, really cool. But as far as, and I know that like, obviously the the Ableton suggestion I have and the scratching one, I mean, they're kind of suggestions. They're not really feedback on your song. Sorry, those were just two that came up to my mind. But So the actual feedback on your song is that it, it is really, really amazing. The only thing that I would have liked to see more is... Is vocal chops because that's a huge part of hip hop culture. You know what I mean? Is to have vocal chops in there, even if it's just like a phrase. I mean, I mean, it's
1: zero hours. Did I go through? It? Yeah, yeah. That's my club. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, there's some vocal chops for you. <laughs> the reason why is because vocal chops, for those who don't understand, so vocal chops, hip-hop vocal chops and EDM vocal chops, they're two different things. Because usually EDM vocal chops are like tuned and they have a melody because now we have the technology to go in to grab a phrase and to chop it up and tune it and, you know, format shift it or do whatever we want. But back then, it was like Biggie Smalls saying, I'm going back to Cali. You know, like, and you just go and you go like, Cali, back to I'm, you know what I mean? And you're like, kind of like... Do it in the in the order that you want to. I don't know. I kind of feel like combining modern day EDM vocal chopping technology with that of, you know, old school hip hop. I kind of feel like it would be so cool.
1: If you're in India, do some sick effects to that. That would be yeah. sick. One
2: thing that I, I really like doing with this sort of music is, well, I, I'm, I'm sure you probably do it at some stage as well, is to kind of create some of those like sweepy noises and stuff in, in the main drop section. Um, you take like your main bass sound or your main drums and then bounce out a super wet reverb version, like 100% wet. Um, and, and, and then by kind of chopping it up and applying fades and stuff you can almost turn that reverb into like a rhythmic instrument almost but in a way that's not kind of super obvious Um that's what's that's really cool because I find especially through headphones it really takes it into a whole new sort of dimension in terms of coolness Yeah, um, it's got that width Yeah, yeah. so kind of like sweeps around and it just gives it like a really really surreal sort of effect which is cool and then an, another one which I've no idea how well it'll work in in this particular case but something I've been thinking about recently um, is just to do some really Weird, uh, like like tempo automation stuff, like in the middle of the track, Um, because some people do automate the BPM of the track, uh, especially more so in the middle. But I I don't see too many people doing like really wild like BPM automations, going from like eighty to twenty for like four seconds, and then back up to eighty, and then up to like two hundred and stuff. So it's a pretty weird idea but I think you could kind of get away with it for like 20-30 seconds providing it then went back to normal at some stage
1: yeah just the experiment I think it'd be yeah for like for like pads and that sort of thing that'd be kind of handy just to be able to space things out
2: yeah because you get some really weird results because like because different things get affected by the tempo in different ways because some things are warped some things aren't um, I, find, I find you get really surreal results because some things don't get changed by the BPM and then other things get changed wildly depending on the the warp mode and stuff so especially with like time based not, uh, not time With sync-based delays and stuff, the delay tail time is changing, so like the delay gets pitched up and down. Yeah, Yeah.
0: such a good idea. I don't think we've ever tried this before, but do you do you have any questions for us about your song? If I had to ask a question, and I guess it would just be to like all listeners
1: in general. I think one thing I've been trying to trying to do is find the focal element of the songs I write, because a lot of it is just based on sound design. So I, I don't I don't focus too much on the main element. I have a rough idea of it. But like, what's kind of like the standout elements for you or the things that stick in your head about this song? Like what bits actually caught your attention and what was just kind of like, I guess you didn't think about?
2: So for me, my favorite bit, just because I do not see enough people doing it, um, are all those like intro and outro, like unique things you do. Like even even though I I really like the main bit of your track, I kind of feel like there are loads of main bits of people's tracks I like, whereas I I don't see... Like anywhere, anywhere near enough people were doing those really cool intro and outro bits it kind of gives it gives, gives your track identity uh, in a way that's missing oh yeah in right, right car, like part, part, with like the vocal and stuff takes your track from being just a, an, another really good track of this genre and kind of gives it more identity so um, yeah I say over, overall that's my favourite and then some, some of the bass sounds as well um, which, which, re, which are just really nice uh, for, for lack of a, of a better word
0: mine was so like <laughs> it's super cool that you mentioned J Dilla because like for those who don't know the joke with J Dilla is that like you always know it's a J Dilla track because you get like the stank face on you're like oh man this this is good you know what I mean that's that's really funny that you bring that up because when I was listening to this I was like I was head bobbing I was like oh like like this is good you know but the reason why I was doing that the reason why I was sticking out was because of the groove and and the rhythm of the track you know what I mean so like to really get your head bobbing at least for me now is because of the groove you know if it's just like kick on one snare on three or snare on two and four or whatever your rhythm is that doesn't do it for me anymore you know what I mean like when I listen to Is it still called Electro House? You know, like when I'd listen to that where everything's just like slammed on the grid. I don't know, you can't really like get into it, but when you get into something like this, it's like grooving, you're like, ooh, like, yeah, like that's nice. You have a really good groove going on, man. You have, uh, I don't know, it's just like with the, the combination of your drums and offsetting your drums and you know, your neuro basses with their rhythmic movements and everything, just all together, it's like in this nice little, not slammed to the grid but not like completely off the grid either it's like in this nice little gentle spot where it's like oh dang oh dang that's what sticks out to me the most awesome that's really good feedback thank you thank you for coming on the show dude it was a pleasure